And because this season is so busy, um, I don't know if it, that's how it's intended, but who's tired? Who's tired here? Yeah, I'm tired. Yeah, me too, girl. I'm always tired. Coffee doesn't seem to keep me awake, and Pearl reminded me that it's because people with ADD don't tend to, um, coffee doesn't keep us awake. I was like, oh my gosh, no wonder I'm like drinking coffee, like left and right doesn't keep me awake. Um, but I'm tired. It's been a busy season. Talking to Sarah, I'm like, how, how are you doing? She's like, busy. She's like, how are you? I'm like, busy, busy. It's so busy. And the Christmas season tends to bring that busyness, that exhaustion, um, expectations. Jeremy and I were talking about that. Like, there's just so much pressure, and there's so many expectations for Christmas to be a certain way. Um, to be grand, to be extravagant, to be different, to be set apart. Um, and then uh, we're traveling everywhere, right? And then for those of us who have nowhere to go, nothing to do, then depression sinks in, right? Because we have this grand expectation and this hope, this standard of what Christmas should be. And then when that doesn't happen, uh, it sucks. <laughs> right? Um, it is special. Christmas is special. It's extravagant. It is grand. It's miraculous. But of course, not because of the reasons we've made it out to be. Um, if you're a believer, been to church, or have not lived under a rock, um, you know that Christmas is about Jesus, and that we always say that, right? He's the real reason for the season. Um, people debate over it. We've got the whole Starbucks thing. Is that still happening? Or was that just, do people still care about what our Starbucks cups say? Or how they represent? But it's like, you know, people get mad if you say, Happy Holidays. Like, oh no, Merry Christmas. You gotta say Merry Christmas, right? There's, it happens. Like, this, it brings this out, it brings it out of us. This season just brings it out of all of us. Um, you know, the whole story, though, you guys know the story of Christmas. You've heard it. You've heard um, the young mother, Mary, and Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. There's no room for them. There's nowhere for them to go. Jesus was born in a lowly manger. You might know of how God brought thousands of angels to the shepherds, um, which were the least likely characters to be invited into the throne room, so to speak, of a king, a great king. Um, these are people that were ceremonially unclean. Um, so why would, why would God send angels to appear to shepherds? You might have heard that, right? Um, you might have heard um, all these different, you know, aspects of Jesus coming to this world as a little baby. Um, super humble, and um, I'm sure you guys have heard all of that, right? Uh, and if not, I'd love to share it with you, just not right now, uh, because I want to talk about Christmas, meaning something else. Uh, we picked Isaiah 53, and even Greg was talking last week, like, why would you read that at Christmas? about the crucifixion. Like, he was even stumped. Had to call Steve, like, is there something else I'm missing here? Why you guys are reading Isaiah 53? Um, and 
I want to talk about that. I want to talk about Christmas being every day. Christmas pointing to the cross. Obviously, I can talk about having the spirit of peace and joy, um, generosity, kindness, meditation and pause, reflection on the stillness and quietness of Jesus, the glory of God coming in a humble way like a baby in a manger. I can, I can talk about that and how we can have that every day. And we can carry those things with us every day, absolutely. But what if I told you that Christmas was in the plan long before the foundations of the world? Christmas is just one aspect of the whole story, the big picture. We so often compartmentalize our lives. We say, well, things will be better if, if only I get this, this job, this better job. Or let's just get through Christmas. Let's just make sure we have enough. Let's celebrate this. Oh, and let's celebrate that. Or, man, I can't wait until I'm 16 and I can drive. I can't wait until I'm 18 and I'm out of the house. You guys remember saying those things when you were younger? I can't wait until college is over. Oh, if only just until I just, I can't wait until I can pay this debt from college. Once I pay this debt off, things will be better. No, scratch that. Um, how about... Uh, when I'm married, things will be complete. When I find my life partner, oh, then I'll be ready. No, no, wait. I gotta have kids. Gotta have kids. Two kids, one boy, one girl. White picket fence, right? We, we keep setting ourselves up. And then, when we get there, we sometimes say, oh, if only I could go back to the glory days when things were simple and easy. And we just compartmentalize, you know, our lives and separate it. Or how about compartmentalizing God? God was so good to give me that thing once, but where is he now? I don't feel like I'm in his splendor or glory because life sucks. Do you know what I mean? You guys felt that way, experienced that? I know I have. I know I do. Um, everything I'm sharing up here is, it, are things that I wrestle with myself. So I, d I definitely don't have it all together, if you can't tell. Maybe I do. Maybe you, maybe you looked at me and thought, that girl, she's got it together. She's on point. She's got it together. Thank you. <laughs> You're beautiful, too. I love you. You know, I think this way. We'll say that God was a God of wrath in the Old Testament, but he's a God of love in the New Testament. We think that God and Jesus, we always say God, Jesus, are so different. Where yes, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, but they are one, and they are God, and all three have been and will always be. But things didn't finally begin at the manger. This picture, this life, this plan began before the world began. And yet, we have choice and we have freedom. And the God of the universe includes us in it all. I do want to dig into some scripture. And we have been reading the Isaiah 53 
Um, but I want to go back even further in Isaiah 53. Um, I want to read Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So this is after Adam and Eve um, ate from the tree that God, the Father, asked them not to. Um, or God. Um, and he's talking to Satan, to the snake. Uh, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush or strike your head, and you will strike his heel. So this is God's response. And this is part of the rescue plan. This is the part that he's talking about Jesus at the cross. This is the part where he says, it will leave its mark on Jesus, talking about death, but the final victory, overcoming death, would destroy Satan. Um, I've got a little video that I want to share with you all. This video comes from the Bible Project. These guys walk through the Bible in a really neat way. Um, Bibleproject.com. Um, they're really great. They, they walk through Old Testament, New Testament. They walk through themes. They walk through, I know, like, we like, we like for lights to hang low, and if, if you see, like, little power strips hanging from the ceiling, we like that, too. It's, it gives it a certain aesthetic to the building. We, we did that on purpose. We like that. Um, so let's watch it together, and then we'll dig into more scripture, and um, hopefully... Or we can all crowd around my phone, watch it on my phone, and just get real cozy. Don't put it past me. I'll do it. I'll do it. I like uh, visual representations. Been teaching Sunday school. That's come for a long time. And I love these things. Aw, oh, Ben. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. You're great. Beautiful. It's perfect. We here at STEM like to practice pause. We're very intentional. This was all meant to be. It's good. In the, in the season of busyness, craziness, Yeah, just take the time to close your eyes, reflect. Don't think about your grocery list. Don't think about the stuff you got to do. And watch the video. It's really good. We're told by God not to eat from because Perfect. it's dangerous and it will kill them. So that's it. Uh, avoid this fruit tree and we're fine. There's this crazy story at the beginning of the Bible. We have Adam and Eve, and they're in the Garden of Eden. And every 
everything in this garden is great. It's exactly as it should be, except there's this one tree that they're told by God not to eat from because it's dangerous and it will kill them. So that's it. Uh, avoid this fruit tree and we're fine. Right. It seems pretty simple. But in this garden, there's a snake. And it starts telling a different story. It says that if you eat of this tree, it's not going to kill you. In fact, it's going to make you become like God. And Adam and Eve, they believe the snake and they eat the fruit. And because of this, the goodness of the garden is tragically lost and evil and death enters into God's good world. Now, why is there a talking snake in the garden? I mean, this thing is a problem. Yeah, it's very strange. And even more strange is the fact that the Bible doesn't say why or how this thing even got there. It just presents the snake as this creature who's in rebellion against God and that wants to get other people to doubt God's goodness and lead them on a path towards death. And so whatever this snake is, it's the source of evil that pervades our world and our lives, even still today. But there is some hope, because right here in the story, God makes this really interesting promise to Adam. That someone is going to come in the future, a son of Eve. And this guy's going to come and he's going to crush the serpent's head and destroy evil at its source. However, during this battle, the serpent is going to bite this guy's heel. So it's like a mutual destruction. Yeah, it's this very strange but beautiful promise. And it's just left hanging there until the next key moment in the story. When God singles out this guy named Abraham and says that through his family, goodness and blessing is going to be restored back to all of the nations of the world. And as we follow this family, we get to one of Abraham's great-grandsons, this guy named Judah. And he receives this promise that a king is going to come from his line and that the whole world is going to follow this king and he's going to bring peace and harmony and there'll be lots of food and wine and milk and vineyards and it's going to be awesome. The first king that we meet from the line of Judah is a guy named King David. And he's a hero. Maybe he is the snake crusher. But it turns out that David is infected with the same evil as the rest of humanity. He never crushes the snake, just the opposite. However, God makes a promise to David that this king is going to eventually come from his line. But as you go on in the story, one by one, each generation of his sons, they're just total chumps. They give in to the snake, they choose evil, they go after money and sex and power and following other gods. Things get so bad that they run the nation of Israel right into the ground, and the big bad empire of Babylon just takes them out. And so now there are no more kings to even fulfill this promise. So it seems like the whole plan is lost. But during these dark days, there's this crazy group of guys called prophets. And they just kept talking about this coming king and reminding us of the promise that he'll come, he'll defeat evil, he'll restore the garden. Now, one specific prophet, Isaiah, he tells us more about why this king is written. Isaiah says that the promised king receives this wound because of humanity's evil, and that it kills him. But then all of a sudden he comes back, and Isaiah says it's because he suffered this wound that he can now become a source of healing to other people. But the Old Testament ends, and the snake-crushing king that everyone's been talking about never shows up. And this is why, when the New Testament begins, it introduces us to Jesus of Nazareth, not as some random guy, but as someone who comes to fulfill these specific ancient promises. Yeah, we learn that he's from the line of David, Judah, and Abraham. And he goes around Israel announcing that the goodness of God's kingdom is here, now. 
and he begins confronting the effects of evil on people by healing them, by forgiving them of their sins and evil. Many people are now believing that this is, in fact, the promised king. But Jesus began telling his closest followers that he was going to become king and bring peace by taking the full effect of humanity's evil into himself. The fatal snake bite wound. Exactly. And so it seems like the serpent wins. And this story actually would be a tragedy, except for what happens next. Jesus rises from the dead. And now Jesus has the power over evil and death for himself. And so the rest of the New Testament is then making this claim that Jesus' power over evil and death has now become available to us to begin confronting the effects of evil in our life. But even still, death and evil are a real problem in our world all around us. And so the story of the Bible ends by describing this future day when Jesus comes back and he finishes the job. He destroys the snake once and for all and he restores the goodness of the garden here on earth. Hey, this is Tim. And this is John. We think we're the best right way to understand the Bible. Those are the dudes. Isn't that great? Do you guys love it or hate it? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, all of Scripture, every moment of our lives, every moment in Scripture, what we're reading, and in our lives, points to Jesus, points to the cross. I love the Jesus Storybook Bible. Has anyone read that or heard of it? It's pretty great. It says, where every story whispers his name. In every story, every, every scripture, every passage in that book points to the rescue plan, points to Jesus and the cross. Um, I've been able to share with you guys about how important it is to read the Bible from beginning to end, from start to finish. Um, I've just started this last year myself, and it took me forever to get through Numbers and Deuteronomy. It took me an insane amount of time because I had to keep rereading it and rereading it. Um, but I, I want to encourage you guys to, to read what translation you can understand. Um, if it's the message, great. If it's the Ebonics Bible, great. I love the Ebonics Bible. If it's the Metal Bible, awesome. Which is really just the NIV, but it has uh, stories of these beautiful transformations of these people that um, were so steeped in, like, you know, Satanism and, and worshiping these other, these other gods. And they share this story of redemption, and it's a really cool Bible. So check it out if you're into uh, metal and that. Um, but just to get an idea of the big picture. So when I'm reading... I do like to read something more simple, something uh, more third, fourth grade level reading, because I, it helps me to get the concept. And then when I'm studying, I like to bring out all the soldiers. So bring out all the translations, um, bring out the concordance, bring out cross-references, bring out maps. All that stuff is super helpful um, to help get a deeper, fuller meaning of the words. Um, so I just wanted to encourage you guys. I love the Amplified Classic because it gives the cross-references in the scripture. Um, and before you know it, you'll be like, wait, this connects. 
to this, and this connects to this, and this connects to this, and this connects to this, and it's all just this wonderful big story that isn't compartmentalized um, like we think it is. Um, so your mind will flow, and that's what I want to do tonight. I want your minds to explode. Um, yeah, I know, it's going to get messy. Uh, I want to do some of that. So, as I was reading Isaiah 53, it brought me to the beginning in Genesis, the chapter 3, um, which this video explains that a little, and then it brought me to Matthew 27, and I want to read that, and I want to go through it and, and break it up. Um, because maybe I'll give you a little glimpse of how my brain works. And that's really... This is just me sharing my heart and trying to share God's heart with you guys. I just, I love him, I love Jesus, and um, I love the Word, and my Bible app just asked me if I love my Bible app, and give it five stars. Um, so, let's go to Matthew 27. I'm going to read from the Amplified Classic version, but feel free to to read along on your own when you get home. Um, I was really tempted, again, I say this all the time, I just never know where to start and where to end. I always want to read the whole chapter. Um, but we'd be here all night, which I'm okay with. So, um, but I, it, is a, it is a bigger chunk. But let's start in verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the palace, and they gathered the whole battalion about him. And they stripped off his clothes and put a scarlet robe, a garment of dignity and office worn by Roman officers of rank, upon him. And weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed, a staff, in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they made sport of him, saying, Hail, greetings, good health to you, long life to you, King of the Jews. And they spat on him, and took the reed, the staff, and struck him on the head. And when they finished making sport of him, they stripped him of the robe, and put his own garments on him, and led him away to be crucified. As they were marching forth, they came upon a man of Cyrene named Simon. This man they forced to carry the cross of Jesus. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, Latin for Calvary, which means the place of a skull, they offered him wine, mingled with gold to drink, but when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided and distributed his garments among them by casting lots, so that the prophet's saying was fulfilled. They parted my garments among them, and over my apparel they cast lots. And I want to stop right here, because this is, this is how... This is how scripture works. This is where we see a cross-reference. And right here, they're, they're actually, this is something prophetic coming to fruition. This is something being fulfilled. In Psalms 22, 18, and I have it up here, this is David speaking, and he said, They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. This is something... I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. And so this is coming to fulfillment in Matthew 27. Let's go back. Verse 36. 
Then they sat down there, and they kept watch over him. And over his head they put the accusation against him, the cause of his death, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At the same time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the left. And those who passed by spoke reproachfully and abusively and jeered at him, wagging their heads. Again, this is from Psalm 22, 7 through 8. I have it on the next slide. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Back to Matthew. And they said, You who would tear down the sanctuary of the temple and rebuild it in three days, rescue yourself from death. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes and elders made sport of him, saying, He rescued others from death. Himself he cannot rescue from death. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in and acknowledge and plead to him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he cares for him and will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also abused and reproached and made sport of him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, noon, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour, about three o'clock. And about the ninth hour, three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me, leaving me helpless, forsaking, and failing me in my need? So this... When I, when I read this, and I remember talking about this with a friend not too long ago, um, and for so long I thought Jesus felt abandoned by the Father. And what, what he's actually doing in his last moments, in his last breath, is he's preaching. He's sharing the word with them. He's quoting scripture, again, from Psalms, the Psalms, that they knew what he was saying. They knew what he was referring to, because these are people that are very, they very much know the word, right? It's raised from a very young age. You know, we have the bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, bar mitzvah, all that, right? They're supposed to know their stuff at a young age. So they knew exactly what he was saying. Psalm 22, 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning. That was David saying this. And again, another prophecy fulfilled with Jesus. And so at this, they would know that this is what he's saying. Well, you would think they would know. I, I think some of them were blind to it and weren't paying attention and didn't know. But... They knew, most of them knew, what he was referring to. And so back in Matthew 27, it says, But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him from death. And Jesus cried again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And at once the curtain of the sanctuary... Did I skip something? I did. I'm sorry, I skipped. Back to 47. And some of the bystanders, when they heard it, said, This man is calling for Elijah. And one of them immediately ran and took a sponge, soaked it with vinegar, a 
sour wine and put it on a reed, a staff, and was about to give it to him to drink. Another reference, this is from Psalm 69, 21. They gave me also gall, poisonous and bitter, for my food, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar, a sour wine to drink. Another prophetic thing fulfilled. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him from death. And Jesus cried again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And at once, the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. And if you want to know um, the elements of the tabernacle and how thick that curtain was, go to Exodus chapter 26. It's pretty crazy. And so I was like reading this, and I'm, and I'm jumping from, from, oh man, that's, that's from here, and this is from here, and this is from here, and it's all so connected. And you can see that it's connected. And of course, Christmas is ultimately about the cross, right? That's the whole point of Christmas, is ultimately about Jesus' rescue plan from the beginning of time, since before the foundations of the world. That's what Christmas is supposed to be. It's supposed to point us to the message of the cross. It's ultimately about redemption. Redemption. Jesus coming into the world to save us from the weight of the world. And that's not the end. Because as we were talking about Genesis chapter 3, the promise that Jesus would come and crush the head of Satan, and Satan would bruise the heel, meaning that Jesus would claim victory over that. So the victory actually is in chapter 28. I won't read the whole chapter. I thought about reading the whole chapter. But let's read chapter 28, 5 through 9. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be alarmed and frightened, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who is crucified. He's not here. He has risen, as he said he would do. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they left the tomb hastily with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And as they went, behold, Jesus met them and said, Hail, greetings. And they went up to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. That's the victory right there. That's Jesus defeating Satan. And so we walk in this completed work of Christ. Or at least um, sometimes we're aware of that. I, I was telling Aaron, like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm doing that and I'm experiencing that and I'm, I'm, I'm walking in what feels like freedom. I'm walking in what feels like the completed work of Christ. And then the next moment, I'm like crippled with fear and anxiety and worry and back to the busyness of things like, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. You know, and thankfully, Aaron is so good at like, slow down, you know. And, and thankfully, I receive it most of the time. You know, I, I just, we have this available to us. And, and I understand why we might set things on the shelf over here and put this over here for, 
for a later time or 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 just to try to focus on these things and separate them i understand why we would do that and i and i wonder i understand what what christmas brings about in each of us um and for some you know like michael was saying is not a cheerful time you know and it's heavy um because of the expectations we have, the standards are just lost in grief, right? And so Christmas doesn't feel great. But I want us to see this Christmas, and myself included, the connection and really the, the true meaning of Christmas, which isn't just little baby Jesus coming in so sweet and tenderly but the savior of the world coming to take this weight from us the resurrection life that lives in you and me i want us to reflect on it on wednesday as christmas comes um i want us to celebrate the freedom that christ has for us Celebrate not only his birth, but his death. Um, but more than that, his life and the victory that we have in that. The completed work of Christ, the resurrection life in us, everything that he had planned before the foundations of the world. And for us, he knew exactly what we would need and when we would need it. Um, I want us to reflect on that on Wednesday, but maybe Thursday too, and uh, maybe Friday, maybe next year, maybe every day, because Christmas is every day, right? Not just the spirit of generosity, not just the spirit of, of kindness, not just the spirit of peace and joy and those things, but the spirit of completed work of Christ, resurrection life living in us the freedom that we have living in us. Jesus has come and he has conquered and one day is coming back to finish that restoration story and reveal even more of what he had in store for us all along. Um, that's all I have for you tonight. I love you guys. I wish you well. I hope that Christmas is, um, is peaceful and you do experience kindness and generosity. Um, and I hope that you experience rest. And it's not just taking long, snoozy naps, but the rest in you, which is Jesus Christ. Um, he's the only way that I know how to rest. And so that's my prayer for you. Um, I want to pray for us. I want us to enter into a time of communion. Um, again, we're very intentional with our, our time of pause and reflection here. Um, it's going to be up here all night throughout the last worship set. We have juice, not wine. We have gluten-free options. Um, and just come as you will. Come as you want and partake. And remember um, what Jesus has not only already done for you, um, but what he continues to do for you. So, um, yeah, let me pray. Jesus, you are mighty. I thank you for your plan for us. 
that I don't even really have to understand it all. Um, but you do. I thank you for what Christmas really is about. And thank you that I can carry that with me every day, which is you. Thank you for this community. Be with them, Lord. Give them peace and rest and joy and, and be those things for them as they travel this week, as they, um, as they do whatever it is they're doing. And God, for, for those who feel alone, um, would you bring connection? Would you bring relationships and community? We love you a lot, Jesus. Amen.